0: You're listening to the Fat Dude Digs Flicks Movie Podcast Network. And now, the Criterion. Right here, Babs Johnson, a trailer, Phoenix, Maryland, and you're Babs Johnson, aren't you? Of course I'm Babs Johnson, I just told you that, but there is no address here. This is not on any road, route, or street, and I don't want people calling my property. And salutations, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of the Criterion Break. Uh, I am Andy, the resident fat dude of Fat Dude Digs Flicks. I am joined by one of my two co-hosts today, uh, and I am, in fact, joined by Mr. Derek Vering. Derek, how you doing, buddy?
1: I am doing great. I'm very excited for this discussion tonight because it's something else
0: what what a what an episode we have gotten ourselves into (laughs) this week uh as i as i said i'm only joined by one of our two co-hosts uh blake ginnathan is out of commission this week uh due to illness uh and he was not able to catch the films that we watched uh so he and he's still he's still out of action a little bit feeling better Uh, but out of action, Uh, so we will go on without him and wish him a speedy recovery. Um, If this is your first time listening to the Criterion Break, welcome. Uh, Thank you so much for choosing this episode to listen to. Uh, The Criterion Break is a discussion amongst friends uh, about our love for the Criterion Collection proper and the Criterion Channel. And on this episode, uh, we've got a couple things we want to talk about but our feature of the week is the recent uh i guess re-addition to the criterion collection um and that is john water's cult classic the the creme de la creme of midnight movies or the the shit de la shit of midnight movies uh pink flamingos (laughs) uh and yeah we are we are going to tackle this movie and i i don't know that i have been as excited for an episode <laughs> in a long time. So this is gonna be it's gonna be quite the chat. Uh but before we we get into that, we're gonna get some uh, uh do some some table straightening first, uh, and then talk about another movie that is as far from Pink Flamingos as humanly possible. Uh, But we'll start things off just kind of paying a little tribute. Uh, In the past or or since the uh, the last episode was released, um, the famous French director, French auteur Jean-Luc Godard has passed away at the age of 91. Uh, Godard is a I I can't even think of the best word to describe exactly what he is and what he means to the world of cinema. Uh, He is, it's, it's, it is iconic, uh, his filmography, um, ranging from a movie that we covered uh, uh, in Alphaville to things like Breathless, uh, Viva Saviv, A Band Apart. Like Godard has left a, legacy of films behind him and his uh uh it would be we would be remiss in our duties if we dot, did not note, uh uh you know bring to notice that he has since passed away um derek your your exposure to godard is it was it primarily alphaville or have you watched any of the other uh godard films that are in the collection
1: uh primarily alphaville i think sure. the only other one that i've sampled at least significantly is contempt Okay, um, which mainly came by way of me watching Casino, and they use the contempt theme in there, and I'm like, oh, that's one way to get me into the movie. Um, but over, but overall, you know, I, Godard is a tricky director because obviously there's the early portion of work that certainly is the most praised, and then as you quickly get past that, um, it quickly becomes a bit more of a hurdle um to watch his movies for lack of a better word um definitely far from conventional uh in pretty much every sense so there there's a fine line but i you know i have considered at times like as we've been talking about director series thinking about oh would this be one to dabble into because again with alphaville um you know i found that to be a very entrancing experience Mm -hmm. um for what it's trying to do in terms of you know a unique take on sci-fi as it were um so i'm sure at some point um we'll fill in some of those holes i mean even something as basic as breathless which you know its reputation precedes it right so i'm sure i'd probably get some kick and amusement out of that so yeah that's what i can say for now
0: yeah uh you know the french new wave is a (laughs) <laughs> it is a it is a tricky genre or, or a tricky uh, cinematic movement um that i think you know it it has its certain strengths um and there are definitely some films from that that era that uh really stand out as being a influential, uh, to so many artists that have come since, uh, but also just being landmark pieces of cinema. Um, and I, I, it's, you know, and I think we, I kind of mentioned this when we were talking about Bergman that I, I didn't quite gel with the movement as well as I did, you know, uh, Bergman who's, you know, they're completely, couldn't be further uh different yeah i guess sure. in, in in the things that they're trying to do uh but you know it's i think there is certainly a legacy there and i think there are films that have really redefined um what a movie can be uh that have come from from godard's legacy and or from his filmography and i think you know um uh, noting that such a giant uh such a titan of the 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 kind of cinematic landscape has passed um is something that is certainly important and you know his his uh he he definitely has left quite the legacy behind and he is an artist who will definitely be missed um but yeah passed away at the age of 91 um i won't go into any detail about his passing um just because i think that can open up a whole uh Mm -hmm. moral can of worms and even open up Mm -hmm. um uh some concerns uh you know, mental health and whatnot. But I think, uh, you know, I, I think uh, a legend is lost. And, uh, you know, we pay pay respect to, to him here. And uh, certainly, you know, it, it will uh, definitely open up the doors in the future to make sure I check out more of the films that I have missed. Uh, because I think uh, he is he is an important voice for cinema, and kind of open the doors for other important voices as well. So uh uh, rest well, Jean-Luc Godard. You you will definitely be missed, and your talent will be felt forever. Um, to kind of, uh, I don't know, I don't really know <laughs> the transition here. <laughs> there, there is there's, none. Yeah, there there's is not none. really anywhere we can go, because we're going to just start talking about movies. Um, but I, I guess maybe before we, we talk about the two... Um, Focal points of this episode, uh, Derek. Have you watched anything else Criterion related or Criterion adjacent since we last recorded? Because I, I have not. I have been, uh, you know, trying to uh, start my my horror kick, uh, but nothing, nothing Criterion related. Anything on your your watch list that you've knocked out since last time we talked?
1: I mean, there there is something tangentially criterion sure. related that i know you and i have both seen oh sure because we did see the latest movie from criterion director kevin smith oh yes. Um, in <laughs> clerks three yeah. which had its limited theatrical run last week um yeah. and you know i think i can speak for both of us you know we have connections to his movies uh, his early work growing up um certainly as i was getting into my big dvd phase and you know seeing like the attention he lavished on you know his titles you know with his commentaries and his oodles of deleted scenes and all that stuff it proved to be a very you know enthusiastic gateway into his work because of that and so i think you know we've had you and i probably had connections to his work you know as he's kind of gone through phases and you know shifts in his career and what he's tried to do, Um, you know, and even though, you know, things have kind of fallen a little bit on the wayside from where he started out, you know, I certainly feel that attachment to, to when it came to be that, oh, Clerks 3, it's going to get a theatrical run. I will definitely see that on opening night with an enthused crowd because, you know, there's a lot of us that have that attachment to his filmography and his greater output. So. Right.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I don't know <laughs> if this'll will be a title uh that will be added <laughs> to the collection. No, uh, probably not. <laughs> but uh but yeah, I I agree. It was uh kind of fun to go back down this road. Um, you know, and we've we've had um I guess varying reactions to Smith's filmography um, over the last few years, ranging from ones that we've really enjoyed uh to ones that we've been kind of mixed on. Um and this one, you know, I am I am mixed but positive on Clerks Three. I think getting to uh go with these familiar characters again and kind of see where life has taken them, uh taken them since our last visit. Um, it's been really interesting. Uh I think that Smith has become a better writer uh, when he writes from the heart uh, instead of from trying to make people laugh uh, because I, I personally feel like his sense of humor is still stuck back in 1994 to 1997. uh, But his emotional maturity uh, has certainly grown up. uh, And I found anything that he's dealt with kind of dealing with human relationships and, and character um development i think is really strong it's just those jokes we gotta we gotta figure out what's funny now uh <laughs> <laughs> it's not not the same thing uh but yeah
1: my thoughts yeah i, I mean i was pretty positive about it. i gave it ultimately a four out of five did you give it a three or a three and a half
0: i think i gave it okay. a three
1: okay yeah and i i gave it a four because you know i think my main theory was You know, this is kind of the more successful version of what he was trying to do with Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, where he's kind of trying to marry his, you know, his original breakout successes to, you know, a bit more of a middle-aged reflection on life. Um, Certainly, obviously, Clerks 3 benefits from that more personal angle because he is straight up using his heart attack as source material for the first third or so. Mm of this movie before he transitions into just essentially remaking the first clerks, which there, I mean, there, there is some amusement in that, but, you know, to your point about, you know, Kevin Smith using, you know, or tapping more into his emotional side. I mean, there's certainly that probably even more significant than Jay and Silent Bob reboot, you know, where he's kind of looking to like the next generation in that particular movie, you know, it's more of a, you know, direct reckoning, with his life, Mm -hmm. um, which I think does have some power and ultimately does even carry on to the third act where he kind of goes for probably some of the biggest emotional swings he's ever had in any movie of his to date. And I think because that actually ended up playing pretty well for me, all told, um, that's why I think I was able to recommend Clerks 3 as strongly as I could Sure, Uh, um, because of that. I mean, Mm Granted, there are still some rough patches with the humor, Um, and I certainly there's certainly still that quality, especially at certain points of this movie, where he's you know hitting up the rolodex, calling in you know favors from friends to populate things, and just you know straight up like, yep, we're recreating scenes and we're going to have people doing the lines that you know he wrote 30 years ago. Uh, It's it's a delicate balance, you know, and sometimes one that doesn't really work completely, but. Again, I think ultimately this sol- serves a pretty major bookend, I think, to his career that started with the first Clerks. It, it really feels like something coming full circle. Um, and as I know, we were talking on Friday before this double feature that we're about to discuss. Right. Um, it's a very, you know, I'll be curious what direction Smith goes from, from here, because it's that tricky thing of, well... You know, is this a sign that he's going to move on from, you know, his view universe, but at the same time, is he able to make movies at this point in time that don't have heavy connections to the view universe? It's kind of hard to say, and I'm right. afraid I know what that answer is, probably no. But, you know, I'm curious, you know, if even if he does kind of stay within this, will Kivisweth continue to be a little bit more introspective into his life and using these movies to kind of have this personal reflection as it were. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, uh, you know, I I know that he wants to continue to touch upon the worlds that he's already created, but I do know too, that he really wants to be able to venture out. So it'll be interesting to kind of see, you know, where we, where we go next. Um, and I like, you know, I, I think you're right. I think this is a, a, a good bookend for the, the Clark saga at least. Um, and you know, hopefully he's, I don't know, maybe, maybe hopefully him focusing on tying up loose ends from the other worlds that he has already created, isn't a bad idea. Um, but I would like to see him I would like to see him flex a different muscle, um, because I think, I think there's something there. I, I think yeah. I haven't, I haven't been a fan of him for so long because I thought he was not talented. I think he's very talented and I think he's got a lot of creativity, uh, and, and stories to definitely tell. So I, w- I am still really excited to kind of see where, where he goes from here. Um, it's just, uh, i do i do hope he kind of ventures out of the the out of new jersey uh and tries something a little different so but that's that's me (laughs) well let's let's move on then to our the first of our two featured movies of the week now we're going to kind of talk about this one it's we're going to go in depth but we're not going to like Uh, not as deep of a dive (laughs) we're not going to spoil it
1: i think that's the main thing
0: right yeah don't want to spoil this one uh but i certainly want to talk about this we have we had the opportunity as derek said to kind of do a interesting double feature of sorts um (laughs) and the first film in our double feature uh is the film memoria now memoria is the 2021 drama Directed by, and I—I I tried to look up uh, a pronunciation key for this director's name because I do not want to
1: ruin it. Do you happen to have one handy that you? I here. Here's the deal. Bef- okay. I didn't get around to this for recording because sure. what I was gonna do was the fact that um, I'm just gonna spit it out. Sure. Um, Api Chatpong, we arrest the cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing I'm butchering that. What I was gonna do was. Um, he is in the Criterion Collection, technically, because he's in one of the Martin Scorsese World Cinema box sets. Oh, so oh what I was going to do was pop open that box set, because Scorsese introduces them all. And I was very curious as to how Martin Scorsese, purveyor oh. of cinema, would have pronounced that <laughs> name. So, yeah. lost opportunity, but <laughs> that was going to be what I was going to do to figure it out if needed be, so
0: yeah and i've been trying uh feverishly to to put this into my google to see if i can find a pronunciation for it and none of them kind of break it down by syllables so no. maybe i can kind of find i don't know maybe i'll find something as we go uh but yeah i uh we're going to talk about memoria here which is such a fascinating piece of cinema um where where we as- where is the call I, I i just go our director i did read on wikipedia that he does uh for convenience sake he has adopted the nickname of joe uh, i saw that so, so i almost want to uh i want to treat him with respect of calling him joe um but yeah uh his most recent film memorial was released in 2021 uh as kind of a theatrical only release the original release strategy was just to have it play in a couple of theaters and then slowly roll out across the country on kind of like a road Road show show. type form where it would play one theater each week if i remember yeah yeah Um, yeah and then covid kind of changed that uh where now it is it's still uh sticking to theatrical only i have not heard of any uh any home release plans uh but it is kind of uh, broadening to other theaters and not where it's just you know one theater at a time and that kind of is what allowed us the opportunity to see this film as it played recently at the state uh so Derek we'll kind of start off with just initial thoughts how did you how did you take to memoria before we kind of dive a little bit deeper into this movie
1: yeah uh you know, obviously the whole nature of this release plan kind of preceded it. And probably for the most part was the reason why it ultimately came here. Because, you know, it's always nice for a theater to have a theatrical exclusive, especially over the past few years as COVID has changed. Release plans of every nature as we know it. Um And so I was going to be very curious because, you know, it's kind of risky nowadays to have a movie that is solely relegated to theaters. And I say that as someone who's pretty, you know, pretty adamant, you know, about the theatrical experience and all that. And so a part of my mind was going like, is this actually going to justify this release plan? And I guess having finished that screening, I had to unanimously say that, yeah, it probably was worth it mainly because you know the way this movie is constructed and how it plays out and its use of sound all contributes to almost necessitating to see it in a theater to fully appreciate it and to fully focus i know you'll have some thoughts on that as well from your experience um but yeah it very quick it very quickly becomes a movie that sucks you in and mesmerizes you. Um, I think within like fifteen minutes we have what I would consider to be the first truly stunning set piece mm-hmm. in the movie, if you can call it that. The sequence in the sound booth, which we'll talk about. Um, and you know, even though it's very a very oblique movie and a movie that, at least for the majority of its runtime, you know, is not afraid to just throw out mysterious components for the heck of it um it's still very entrancing in that process and the way it kind of just puts together this sort of magical spell for these moments is very impressive and again you know to our collective point something that probably wouldn't have had nearly as much resonance you know if this was something that was viewed at home at least initially um so for that I have to give it, you know, quite a bit of compliment right there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um I I I certainly think seeing this at the theater is, you know, a, a, the or the the theatrical strategy is completely justified. Um this is a we had talked to i think even last on the last episode where we had talked about i asked the question you know what what is your type of movie and i said uh that my type of movie isn't typically the tone poem where it's the movie is focused on the mood i I like my movies to have a a really strong narrative strand strong story and i like to you know not like not I don't mind some things that are vague but as long as the narrative is strong that's usually what hooks me in. I don't want I don't want a movie that makes you feel a certain way just because of its shot composition, its pacing, its stuff like that. Like that doesn't interest me as much. As soon as I said that, I saw this movie that I just <laughs> fell for completely um and I would say there is there's certainly a plot but that's not as essential to the movie as it is the mood or as the mood is Um, because this is a haunting yet peaceful just I guess a journey of exploration Um, it's so this is something that if I had watched it at home I know I would have picked up my phone and I would have completely lost my connection with the movie. Um, And then I I don't think I ever would have gotten it back. Whether I I like the movie or not, I know that I would have just been like, oh, what are we doing? Why is this so quiet? Why is the camera not moving? If I saw this at home, I would have allowed my, my, I guess, my uh, brain to kind of take over and kind of gone down a different path. But having to see it in a movie theater where you can't have those distractions, you can't have those interruptions where you're kind of forced to to watch things and go with it as it goes along. It is really, it 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 digs its claws into you and does not let go. And I I did not find I never found a moment of this movie to be boring, which is weird to kind of say that I know I would have picked up my phone had I watched it at home. It's just I, I don't know that I would have allowed myself to connect with it the same way um, if I watched it at home as I did in the theaters because it just, I was just able to let the whole thing wash over me in such a way that I was just fully invested from start to finish.
1: And and it's very interesting because as the way you talk about that, the thing that kind of pops to my head is, you know, the way this movie kind of, you know, insinuates itself into is not not unlike the journey that our protagonist tilda swinton goes Mm -hmm. through yeah because you know it's obviously you know the whole thrust of it is you know the movie starts with her sleeping you know and she hears this weird loud thudding sound and then spends at least the good chunk of at least the first act you know pursuing what that is yeah um in you know in all its obliqueness um And I think that kind of leads into you know the sequence that you know certainly truly compelled me in is you know she meets up with this sound engineer named Hernan who has kind of been recommended to her you know we don't really know how she got there but they find themselves together and yeah. it's fascinating to watch you know for like this ten minute stretch you know of Tilda Swinton trying to communicate to this sound engineer. um in in Spanish, mind you, not not her native language. Mm-hmm. In Spanish, trying to communicate what this sound sounds like, uh, and going through kind of a like very revisionistic, gradual process to kind of try and approximate it. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of fascinating things into that sequence as well, just in terms of trying to explain what's going on. Yeah. Um and ultimately coming obsessed with that um yeah it, it's a it's a very it it's a, it's' a sequence unlike probably anything you know you've watched at least in a long time yeah um but you can't help but be sucked into it necessarily too so
0: yeah it's it's so it's so funny because it's like I, I don't know that anything necessarily, I don't know, I, I'm going to argue with myself on this. I don't know necessarily that anything dramatically compelling is happening during that scene because it's just trying to figure out a sound like that's that's the crux of what is happening. But there's something in the way that it's put together that it is one of the most exciting like just an exciting scene not not just in this movie but just in in general like i like to do my favorite scenes of the year and maybe had i seen this last year you know when it was officially released this would have gone on a year end like this is one of my favorite scenes of the year because you're so right uh kind of hearing how they describe what the sound sounds like like we don't we don't have words for sounds like there there are some instances where it's like how do you describe what something sounds like without making the sound like it sounds like a boom but not a boom but kind of like a boom you know (laughs) you know and just hearing the 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 um i guess the, the the dictionary of words that she goes through and the way that she tries to describe what this sound is it was just like i was i was fully captivated by that scene. And I I, I don't know. I just I just really liked it. And I know that nothing of uh you know I guess general consequence happened, but it was just a thrilling moment and and scary too when she actually finds the sound uh that you know that she had been she had been looking for.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's also funny too, because I know one of the previews we had in front of this movie on friday night was arrival which kind of is doing a somewhat similar thing in terms like it's deconstruction of language Mm -hmm. um and trying to you know trying to communicate you know between you know foreign parties of the highest order when you're talking about alien visitors um and memoria is kind of doing a lot more with sound you know i forgot to mention like what precedes this scene or what starts off this scene is you know Tilda enters the booth where Hernan's kind of work is working on a track and we just spend like two and a half, three minutes just listening to this music before we even do anything related to, you know, the figuring out of the sound. Yeah. Or even later on in the movie where she comes back to the studios to try and find him, um, you know, and there's that sequence where, you know, where there's this jazz band playing in the studio. And, you know, we spend at least a couple of minutes just, you know, Tilda enters the studio, and we're just watching the audience that's watching the jazz band, Mm -hmm. um, watching the music. And it is very fascinating how it takes, like, two whole minutes before we even cut to a a shot of the actual band. Yeah. Um, And it's very fascinating, you know, obviously kind of like the overall style of the movie with, you know, it's – big wide shots that are, you know, chock full of activity, uh, very locked off. There's very little motion uh, of the camera. I recall only one scene, if I'm not mistaken, that is shot handheld. Mm-hmm. And that's the scene where they're looking at flower cabinets of sure, all things. Yeah. Yep. Um, a lot of deliberateness, but, you know, a very interesting examination of, you know, sound, you know, in sound independent of image. Um, it's very, you know, it, it's weird how mesmerized it can be just doing these very simple deconstructions mm-hmm. of stuff that, you know, we would be familiar of in a completely normal setting. So, yeah
0: yeah i'm I'm curious, Derek, how much detail we we really want to go in with with this movie uh just yeah. because it's 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 something that people still can see and i I don't want to ruin so much of it because yeah. that that first section of it it really is I mean it's less plot driven, but I think there's certainly a plot of trying to discover what this sound is. but then there's the very meditative segment uh later on yes Um,
1: and yeah i i definitely agree i think that's probably left for surprise but it is very what i will say it's very impressive how you know that seek you know that sequence that very long sequence um where there's very little going on Mm -hmm. i mean there are several points within that whole third act where there is very little in fact almost nothing going on yep. for minutes at a time and again probably even more so than what we've discussed in the first act the way that that pulls you in mm-hmm. is quite an achievement unto itself and yeah. again this is where you can make the argument that this is very much worthwhile of a theatrical experience because i would argue like with our audience that third act was really getting into you know, a connection between the audience and the film where you could hear a pin drop in the auditorium. And certainly I think you would comment down as well, but I was certainly afraid to do anything that would even cause anything that could cause a disruption, you know, to the audience's utter focus in that moment. Um, And, you know, obviously the disappointing thing about it is, you know, as we've recorded this, as we are recording this, it's already left, Sioux Falls yes Um, but obviously you know it's still going to be chugging around the nation Mm -hmm. going to who knows where so I mean if you're truly ambitious of it there are ways for you to experience it you know at least in its proper American uh, distribution plan but you know but yeah it's surprises and it's utter magic I think you could say in that third act is you know just something to behold
0: yeah it's uh, i you know i felt so bad because i didn't eat a meal like i had lunch that day but it would had been hours before going to the theater and i was like oh no that'll be fine i'll have some popcorn grab myself some m&ms make sure i've got my soft drink it'll be fine and then this movie starts that is quiet just yes. absolute quiet and I'm mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, I'm so hungry. I want to I <laughs> eat, but I don't want to make a noise that's going to bother anybody. And you were, you were right next to me, too. And I was like, oh, God, Derek's going to hate sitting next to me during this quiet, quiet movie.
1: <laughs> but but it, quiet it's, except for the occasional terrifying yes. thud. Oh, which... my
0: God. Yeah. I was filled with anxiety at the very beginning of the movie because I knew what the movie was about. I knew it was about this this woman who experiences the sound. I guess generally, generally, I knew what the movie was about. Um, and then you hear the first bang, and it is uh, designed to be incredibly loud. Um yep and it just jars you and i was like i'm going to struggle with this movie if it is just random moments when this loud sound hits
1: <laughs> and and that's exactly what it does because you know as i noted you know the movie goes can go on for quite some time and then bam all of a sudden mm-hmm. another bang and then you're oh yeah that's right that's still going on too
0: <laughs> right um, right
1: and it never fails to not jolt you mm-hmm.
0: so yep uh, and I would even say, I would say the, the, the first one is really, uh, shocking. Uh, then there's a series where there are the ones that are kind of right on top of the next, like yep, where there's a yep. uh, very little mm-hmm. gap between them. That yep. one was pretty shocking and not to go into any details, but the last time we hear the sound, uh, <laughs> yes. is just concussive. Like it is, yeah, quite, quite the moment. The last time we hear that sound, um, yeah, I this was something that I think if we had if we had recorded on Friday, um I may have been like, well, we should probably talk more about Memoria and less about the other movie, uh, because I like that one more. Um, but <laughs> I also and I and I still do, but I think there is a an experience that people will miss out on going into it with a lot of Uh, you know knowing a lot Um, but I think you know for people that that can enjoy uh, quiet uh, slower paced meditative movies that are doing a doing a journey that you don't really know where it's going I think we'll find a great deal to appreciate um, in this movie and I hope that this, this tour continues and finds its way back to Sioux Falls so that people around here uh, who missed out can get a chance to see it. Um, but I certainly hope that people listening elsewhere, if you have the opportunity to see Memoria, take a chance. Um, and, you know, if you if you know that you can tolerate kind of artsy, quiet movies, take a chance on this one, because I, I think it's very fulfilling.
1: Yeah, I, and that kind of reminds me too. Um, I think you... I think you had seen at least one other movie at the state where you got to see the actual trailer for memoria yes. in front of it. Right. Which yep, is, yep, sure which You know, I think we should say that the, if you're curious about what this movie is like, please watch the trailer mm-hmm. for memoria, which is very, you know, very unlike other trailers that you will have seen. Cause it's, yeah. you know, it, it has the, bare minimum of the impression of a plot to it but it is very still and very abstract and i guess the more you get into it very apropos of the movie as a whole yeah um it's a fascinating piece of work in and of itself um and would certainly i guess your tolerance for that trailer might be a good key as to whether you'd be on the right wavelength for this the movie as a whole
0: Definitely, definitely. Uh, I I would be tempted to be like, so what movie would you pair this with? Much like the Backlot Six Hundred Five podcast used to do, but I feel like my answer would spoil uh, some of this movie. So I yeah, will not... <laughs> I,
1: there, there, there's a there's a movie that I've also been thinking about that I have refrained from mentioning yeah. because you know there are structural similarities to it. Especially like the Tilda Swinton obsession thing, but it also kind of gives away yeah. the end of the movie, and I definitely don't want to do that because right. that element of it is like, you know, without getting into details, certainly I had the reaction of, oh, it's going there, <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that's yep. all I'll say about that,
0: yeah. Uh, but overall, uh, this was an incredibly rewarding experience. Um, I, I would very highly recommend this one. I gave this one a, a four taco rating. Um, it just, you know, every once in a while, a movie like this really f- finds its way to get through to me. And this one did it. I don't know why I was so uh, wholly um, intoxicated by it. Uh, but goodness gracious, I, I found this movie to be uh really really thrilling really moving and just a a, a wonderful i don't know a wonderful kind of meditation and uh there's a there's a lot uh a lot there that i think uh steven who runs the state uh he said that you'd probably get a lot out of it in a second viewing and i think yep. that's absolutely true i think there would be a lot of a lot of little details here and there that could really pick out on a second viewing so yeah highly recommend memoria derek what are your 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 recommendations uh uh yeah. a recommend from you
1: yeah i gave it a four out of five as well <laughs> um you know certainly worth seeking out i mean i know there are you know this theatrical release plan is exclusive to the us only so i know there are physical copies floating around elsewhere in the world if you're so inclined to import um and so be it so yeah i hearty recommend for me
0: yeah all right here we We are are going to dive into our featured movie of the week now, uh, a movie that is in the Criterion collection, was originally a laser disc, uh, but it's found its way back to the beautiful, beautiful Blu ray of Criterion. And that is <laughs> A Journey uh, John Waters, 1972 Midnight Cult Classic, Pink. Flamingos. Oh, what a journey uh, I have been on with this movie in the last four days. <laughs> um, yes. Before we kind of uh dive into that, Derek, what are your initial thoughts on pink flamingos?
1: So, I, I guess I should preface this with you know, amusingly enough, when we were kind of assembling the last episode. We're delving into purchases from uh, the Criterion sale at Barnes & Noble. This movie was on the short list. Yes. Um, I was definitely considering it as my pick. I know this was one that you had purchased as well. And certainly the appeal of it, if you were, um, of this being just so completely polar opposite you know from what one could consider as quote-unquote typical criterion fare Mm -hmm. made it appealing that in the possibility of having a discussion on that ultimately we never chose it but to our surprise the state ended up programming it as part of their late night series um so at that point we couldn't resist the siren call to you know obviously to watch it uh for the first time and then to talk about it uh because you know regardless of your points of view on the movie itself i think it's a movie that you know mandates itself to be seen uh by any self-respecting film fan Mm um and again it's interesting journey toward quote unquote legitimacy is something to be impressed because not only do we have it in the criterion collection uh right in time for its 50th anniversary but also last year as steven noted in his prologue to friday night showing this movie was inducted into the library of congress national film registry just last year um so it's the fact that it does continue to endure in this fashion um because there really is not any movie like it yeah um and i think for that just continues to be demanded to be seen and to appreciate it you know for its audaciousness and its shock value and um yeah it just becomes for lack of a better word an experience yes yes uh
0: if we i, I part of me wishes that I would have had a uh, a recorder or recorded myself, like just offering my thoughts, like each day, a little bit each day since watching this movie, like I wish I would have recorded right when I came out of the movie, uh, the conversation that I had with Steven, uh, where I was like, well, I've seen this, I don't think I ever need to see it again, uh, you know, this is... <laughs> A terrible, terrible, terrible movie. I understand, you know why it's a cult classic, but man, I do not like it. Uh, I wish I could have recorded that and then played how I'm like, okay, I completely respect this movie. <laughs> I completely get uh, what this movie was going for. Um, do I do I like it? I don't know. Will I watch it again? absolutely what 100% i would watch this movie again uh in a heartbeat uh but again do i like it i don't know i don't know if i like it i know that i respect it um and i know that it is an experience and i would um uh, if i watch it at home i will only want to watch it with the commentary uh because i think the best way to watch this movie like narratively is in a theater with an audience. Um, yeah, this is, this movie is something else entirely. Um, and I have seen crazy movies. Like I have seen very violent movies. I have seen uh, just, just uh, I, I've seen Sallow. I own Sallow, uh, The 120 Days of Sodom. Uh, you know, there are movies that have reputations as being something completely shocking uh i feel like this rivals those uh tenfold because the sole purpose of this movie is to be shocking um yes. yeah and it is it is definitely that um but man what a fascinating story uh behind it uh a fascinating like band of outsiders who made it like it is just this is a a a movie that i really have over the last four days just been completely like i want to know everything there is to know about this movie
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i i think you bring up a great point there because obviously you know with the supplements that both you and i have watched in the wake of the screening you know i think you could almost make a case for like you can make a pretty good narrative movie just about you know, the making of this movie, not only, yeah. like, say, the disaster artist, because um, there would be some, there'd be plenty of appeal in that. Um, I don't know who in their right mind would <laughs> green light something like that, but it would be utterly fascinating to watch.
0: Yeah. I almost wonder if John Waters would have to direct <laughs> the making of uh, Pink Flamingo's movie, uh, because, you know, you would want, you would want to have somebody else's eye behind it to kind of tackle this but man yeah it, it a, comes
1: from his it comes from his mind and his mind only
0: yeah yeah well Derek, i'm going to give you the honor oh boy <laughs> of being our plot recapper yes. um and i don't know we can we can do this in segments we can do this um, maybe as a whole i don't know the best way to do this
1: i, I mean i'll i'll snap the chunk off here to begin with i mean sure i mean to first off we should be very clear there is a plot to this movie there is a <laughs> yeah. fully flesh narrative yeah. to this it's not just a series of shocking scenes right um but there is a narrative there's interpersonal conflict um there there's all of that so um yeah so this movie uh kicks off with a very long opening credits sequence <laughs> um uh, that i believe credits you know Upwards of probably twelve hundred actors. Who knows? It feels <laughs> like it. Yeah, right. Um, and just keeps on going and going and going. Um, but ultimately, we actually. But this whole opening crisis is taking place outside of this trailer, uh, quote unquote, a trailer, as an address later on the film uh, discusses. But this is the trailer where our hero, uh, Divine, aka Babs Johnson, is living. Um, with her various family members including her mom Edie uh, who sits in this playpen for the majority of the running time um, in her underwear eating eggs Um, uh, her son Crackers and then their friend I guess Cotton and so they all live in this trailer together Um, and apparently the impetus for this plot is that divine slash babs is named in a tabloid as the filthiest person alive uh which raises the ire of the marbles connie and raymond um who consider themselves to be the filthiest people alive because they actually are doing um insane stuff where Mm -hmm. they kidnap young ladies and they imprison them in their basement uh get impregnated and have babies which they then sell off to lesbian couples um which they then, uh, oh, yes, which they then used to fund porno shops and heroin dealers. Um, So In local
0: elementary schools. (laughs) Yes, yes, that is right.
1: In inner city elementary schools. Um, So they're upset with this, and they ultimately try to um, usurp Divine's title uh through this escalating series of um offenses uh that's run um so there's this whole convoluted plot where uh how does that work so they get a spy to date divine Son crackers uh they have a date inside the trailer um ultimately this collides in a date turning into a rape uh, with a chicken between them, which is crushed to death during the sex scene. Yes, this is a real scene. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the chicken was already dead when they filmed the scene. Um, as they go into in the supplements um, that they bought it dead from market. And then they had, they filmed the sex scene and then they cooked the chicken. Yeah. Um, very infamous. Um, so, they then get some information. So then there ultimately kind of leads to this uh, birthday party sequence, which has all the gazillion extras that are present in this movie. Uh, There's some wild stuff where Divine gets wild gifts, like a pig's head is something that she gets gifted. Um, oh, what? When is it when they give her? It's a, it's a separate thing where they give her the box filled with shit.
0: Yeah, it? I think that's just before the party
1: yes yes um but that is given under the guise of a uh birthday present um but there ultimately comes uh chaotic uh oh let's see here oh yeah this is also where we have the uh singing asshole sequence uh within this as well um where the legendary song surf and bird which i knew mainly thanks to family guy um completely redefined uh by (laughs) how this song is lip-synced to by uh, this uh, butthole shown in glorious close-up on the screen um, so anyway there's this party the marbles call the police on them um, and this ultimately goes into a violent deadly riot um, where the policemen get killed um, and then they get hacked up um, very wild stuff um, in that uh, let's see here. Then they get their revenge. They go to the Marbles' home. There's this incredibly ludicrous sequence of them licking virtually everything in the house. Um, licking, like, the stairwell rail. Um, licking the plates on the dining room table. Licking basically everything. Um, and this goes on for, like, minutes, 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 minutes. Yep. Um, they Everybody. find. And then they go to the basement, they find the women in there, um, they find uh, the Marbles' manservant, which they then castrate, uh, which you don't see on screen, one of the few things that you actually don't see on screen (laughs) in this movie, Uh, but that happens. Um, And in Revenge, the Marbles burn the trailer to the ground uh, that Divine and their family live in, which automatically uh, destroys the vast majority of the production value for this movie because apparently most of the budget went into the purchasing of that trailer. Yeah. Um so then uh Divine and the family kidnap the marbles, bring them back to the now burned down trailer site. Uh where they basically have this whole Kangaroo Court trial um and they convict them of quote first degree stupidity and assholeism. Uh they are tarred and feathered. And Divine shoots them both um, to death, and then in the grand climactic finale, they announce that they're all going to move to Boise, Idaho, um, where we get the classic sequence at the end, where a dog takes a shit, and in the midst of that, right as the dog takes a shit, Divine scoops up the shit from the ground and puts it in Divine's mouth, and then we end the movie on Divine with a literal shit-eating shit grin on eating their face.
0: Grin, goodness gracious um yeah (laughs) now so i want to i want to kind of i want to kind of parse this out um in and reacting i don't know try and react to it as i watched it um because i was like i had known i had known about the shit eating at the end like that that was the the one shocking thing about this movie that i knew was was that and i i knew that i kind of sat there uh just waiting for that to happen because i wasn't exactly sure when that scene came to be um but there is so there is so much going on in this movie that is just like you're you're scratching your head like what the hell how is any of this legal uh because it is just it is wild wild and, the stuff they do
1: and you know uh, as i was going into the supplements you know john waters kind of talks about like yeah. yeah we very much constructed the shooting of this movie to avoid being arrested yeah um that is why most of this movie takes place out in a trailer in the middle of nowhere so that Police couldn't find them to arrest them doing this stuff. Yeah. Um, for, you know, among other things. Um, you know, because there's plenty of things that we didn't get into here that you're like, well, how the heck are they getting away with that? Yeah. Um, there's the whole plot of Mr. Marble tying a sausage to his penis and exposing himself, um, ultimately getting the comeuppance uh, when he encounters a trans female um with some surprises under their clothes um there's a the whole just
0: the best moment in the movie for me yeah. like watching delightful, that, that
1: delightful revenge yes. that
0: elicited like the most genuine laugh and cheer uh i thought that was such a great moment because i don't i don't think you expect it and then no uh, yeah and it's a, you know, it's a great
1: one-upmanship
0: yeah just so good and apparently uh that woman was in the middle of transitioning at the time uh so so like the next week she had the the bottom surgery Uh, yeah but man what a what a great what a great moment uh i just i I was tickled pink at that scene
1: (laughs) there was an anecdote in the uh john waters jim jarmusch interview where at john waters art museum they had just As of the recording of that interview in 2022, they had just uh, opened the gender-neutral restrooms at the art museum. And for taking the inaugural shit in that restroom, they brought that uh, trans woman back uh, to do that. So... So yeah, she's still alive and good friends with John Waters. And she did that, which was very, very touching, you know, in the midst of all this wild stuff, you know, it's the camaraderie between John Waters and his collaborators that still gleefully shines through. So.
0: Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that too, in a little bit, because gosh, in the midst of all of this, like these, (laughs) this cast loved each other just loved each other so much like it was just so it's so incredible to kind of hear these stories so there were there were some people who uh, might not have been their favorite but I think they were a very close uh, family and you know families fight uh so even if uh, uh, the actor who played Ray Marble was was sometimes uh, frustrating to them uh yeah it was just just that that's such an interesting thing about this is how close everybody was um yeah yeah, uh gosh i don't even know uh where to go from here but yeah if we were to talk about you know right after the movie ended like i i just did not did not like this movie um but i knew we were going to talk about it and i wanted to talk about it i wanted to kind of um you know really get to the bottom of why it is that because when we went and saw this movie there were many of the people in the audience who had never seen it before, didn't yep. really know exactly what they were getting into. This was the first yep. time they were experiencing it. Mm-hmm. However, uh, <laughs> there were also people there who have clearly seen this movie many times yes. uh, and adored it to an extent where they had to make sure that everybody else in the audience knew how much they enjoyed the movie. Um, Very much and what so. I- yeah and what i wanted to do is i wanted to kind of do a little bit of digging and, and try and get to the bottom of that what it is about this movie that other people feel so connected to and i think i found it like i, I think i found it's a celebration of the outcasts like just uh, the whole story of making this movie is a celebration of the weirdos and you can really latch on to that, and it it's a it's a positive story of pushing the envelope as far as you can,
1: yeah, I mean, I think that's probably at the core of it is that at, i mean even though there's wild things that are happening in this movie, none of it is ever really malicious right um you know it there is an upbeatness to it, you know, and you know the way the movie constructs itself you know with all its you know 50s and 60s pop you know kind of leading to that sunny disposition of sorts um you know i think that's a big thing which you know can make it very rewatchable you know coming out of the movie on friday night you know at least i maybe i should back up going into the movie on friday night you know obviously knowing some things that happen at least you know some things like you know the end scene obviously knowing that in detail but other things that you know i knew of obliquely like here's a checklist of things that are going to happen in the movie you know they're they're, you know in the way that the movie kind of gets talked about in you know in the you know in the pop culture the fact that for example the pink flamingos criterion blu-ray comes with a barf bag yeah um and you know there's kind of this reputation that precedes it but in a way that's kind of also maybe a little bit more performative mm-hmm. perhaps to kind of try and lend it that unique aura that this movie has but ultimately coming out of the movie I can you know you know there're crazy and insane and perverted things that happen in this movie but nothing that I think that would ever nothing that would keep me from popping in the blu-ray of the movie and right now and watching it through again because yeah. you know I think you ultimately have to kind of go into the movie with this kind of bemused detachment for the actions that are going to be going on. Um, You know, again, for a movie that's mainly built just to provoke the audience, you know, and just kind of just push the envelope and nothing else, just stringing these wild acts, you know, of cinematic lunacy, trying to knock down these last few walls you know, of, you know, things that just do not get depicted on screen, you know, for good reason, you know, a lot of it, you know, what's the narrative composure to that. And of course, leave it to John Waters and his collaborators to string them together in a very bizarre way to justify it. Um, That's kind of the craziness of it. And, And again, to your point about, you know, ultimately, this is kind of, you know, a filmmaking family of sorts, you know, yeah. this is why I kind of go back to the whole, like, you know, there, there could be a narrative movie made about this. You think about things like Ed Wood, you know, or the disasters who kind of have these similar ramshackle families, even, you know, stuff like Bowfinger for my youth, you know, where mm-hmm. you got this wild team that's, you know, that's very intimately close with each other and is willing to, you know, put the, do these things, you know, for the purpose of putting together a show um, that, that wild geniality behind it yeah. uh manages to poke through and you know it doesn't lean itself to be like a you know certainly it's kind of cut from the same cloth as a solo, as it were. Right. Um, but it's done in a way where, you know, it's never, you know, if you're on the wavelength of this movie from the get go, um it is something that can be appreciated.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, it, like I think I have to be the one to say it from a uh from a critical standpoint like it's very clear that this is a a the early work of a filmmaker like it's not yes. the best like not the best shot it's very cheaply made uh yes. the, the the acting is not great like the, the in fact you can see Edith Massey like saying the other person's lines in a few of her scenes like she is mouthing the lines to make sure she knows when she's supposed to say hers like it's it's very amateurish but it is it is the most bizarre labor of love. I think that that exists Um, because they, they're just so, so committed to it and so committed to telling this story that, that waters wanted to tell.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a lot of work they have to do. I mean, there, there are reams of dialogue in this movie that play out in single shots, you know, and even like why, you know, even like the wild things that are called the the thing that one of the visuals that keeps coming into my mind is, the sex scene with the marbles, where they're basically like sucking on each other's toes for minutes yeah. on end, yeah. Um, and it's pitched at just such a high level of lunacy. Um, you know, they're 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 all in for everything this movie has to do. Uh, there's in the insert in the Criterion Blu-ray, um, there's a little article that kind of talks about the filming of the final shit scene, mm. and I'm gonna pop up the verbiage on this because. I think this kind of gets to the core of what you're talking about. Uh, hold on here. I got to pull this up here quick. Um, let's see here. Yeah. There is no question that Divine would eat the dog shit. He was a professional. It was in his script, so he was going to do it. I'll do it if it doesn't kill me, Divine said and Laugh. We'll find out what happens, I said. This is Cookie Muller uh, doing this. Um, so, you know there's a vision and they respect john water's vision and they are come hell or high water going to see that vision through so
0: yeah there are there are some great stories uh from the making of this uh the you know that later on that evening Uh, After the shit eating scene, uh, Divine called the hospital uh, to ask a doctor, you know, what would happen if she she did so or uh, he did so under the guise of, you know, my uh, son, my son, yeah, my son ate a piece of dog shit. Uh, Will he die? And the doctor was like, no, the worst thing that can happen is you get some worms and everything. (laughs) Everything was fine. So uh, it's like, you know, uh, it, it was funny because it was like in the moment. He was all about doing it. Like, I'm just going to yep. go for it. Divine is going to go for it. Uh, and then afterwards, it's that moment of like, what did I do? <laughs> let me, let me make sure this is okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's, you know, and that's, that's a huge aspect of this movie uh, is just the, the presence and uh, performance of Divine. Uh, I had seen polyester and hairspray before, uh, so I had an idea of the force of nature that is divine. Um, but this is like, uh, this is, this is a star making performance in just one of the most absurd, uh, you know, it's not a great performance, but man, uh, he is fascinating to watch. Um, I watched the, there's a documentary, uh, called I am divine, um, that is now on Tubi. It was on Netflix for a long time, uh, but it's now on Tubi. And it is a really wonderful, you know, look at his life. uh and that's that's the that was his pronoun of choice too. He identified yep. as a man, um, yep. just a, a drag queen. Uh, but yeah, he and he thought he didn't even think of himself as a drag queen, he thought of himself as as an actor, and that was just one of the characters that he played was divine. Um, and just like this man seemed like he was just the the most fun, like heart of gold, like just a, a, a wonderful person and so, uh, so talented so funny. Uh, I really uh, was glad that I went down this rabbit hole to do a little bit more research on divine because Man, what a story. And then the the Pink Flamingos Blu ray itself uh, contains the documentary Divine Trash, uh, which is more a look at the early works of John Waters, culminating in uh, kind of a look behind the scenes at this movie, Pink Flamingos. Uh, But it does touch upon the relationship between uh, Divine and John Waters a little bit. And it's um, really interesting to watch, too. I just, I, you know, I think one of the things, my, my favorite things to kind of come out of watching this movie. Uh, and everything that I've watched since is that I have a really deep appreciation for divine. uh, And I really want to watch uh, uh, multiple maniacs and female trouble uh, as soon as I can, just to get, just to get more of divine. Um, Yeah. What were your, did you have any thoughts on, on divine's uh, performance or presence or or whatever it is you want to call it? I
1: I mean, it it is a force of nature performance. I mean, lots can be said about like her, Mon- you know is like you know filth is my life monologue, yeah you know, near the end of the movie in front of the reporters, but also there there's a there's a love of you know the camera on mm-hmm. divine, you know early on you know there's the the whole like the girl can't help a sequence it's basically just divine walking around, um, yeah, which also dovetails into like the she goes into the supermarket and she or he goes to the supermarket, sticks the uh steak between their legs um <laughs> crazy stuff like that. Um, It's very, you know, it's endearing. Um, And, you know, along those lines, I kind of have to give credit to Mink Stoll for rising to the chance of trying to being a formidable foe for Divine in the middle of this. Um, I think that might have even, even on this, I was kind of surprised by just how, you know, what a Realm of Fury was in her performance as well. Um, you know, because I think that's kind of what you have to have for this kind of escalating war between, you know, divine and the marbles. You know, it, you know, yeah. it's going to be a you know a fierce game of one upmanship, right. and I think that goes a very long way to kind of making this whole ludicrous conflict at the heart of it work. Because, um, like, when you think about it, what exactly is you know filthiest person alive mm-hmm. as a concept? I mean, it's certainly you know nothing that's you know has any metric you know to it and yeah. i think i think waters would even argue like like the marbles they probably are actually the filthiest person alive because you know they're actually doing insane malicious things and right. I, I think the way that john waters phrased it in the jar interview was you know divine only does what divine does because the marbles provoke mm-hmm. divine um you know beyond i mean he kind of called that like when the movie starts you know divine and the family are just living out in the sticks you know isolated in, in this trailer away you know they're kind of hiding from society um they're not really doing anything you know to provoke anybody and it's the marbles getting jealous because of this tabloid story that gets written up about divine being the filthiest person alive that just enrages them um because yeah. you know you uh, a, a weird comparison point as bizarre as this might be is for whatever reason I thought of don't breathe two Um, okay. as I was thinking about this cause sure. you know, you've got a very, you know, the Stephen Lane character, very evil in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how do you make him a hero, uh, for the sequel? And the answer to that is, well, you have, you know, you have enemies that are doing even more insanely perverted stuff than he is. Yeah. Um, um, and I guess now it comes back to me again, because there is some wild artificial insemination stuff in <laughs> Flamingos, as yeah. well as in Don't Breathe. So yeah. <laughs> it, it, I guess that does pair up. Yeah, uh, I,
0: I was watching one of the videos or, or podcasts or something that I listened to said that it's it's two like it's two groups of terrible people against each other. But one group of terrible people is earnest and loving and then the other group is just a bunch of assholes and it's like (laughs) you know you've got these these two competing factors that are both you know ultimately doing terrible things but one is like i don't know just for the the fun and the the for lack of a better term the shits and giggles of it and while the other one is just doing it for evil um yeah you're gonna side with the the you know the drag queen and her bizarre family of of uh, characters um the other thing that i read uh you know you 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 sit back and you kind of watch this movie and you're like man i wonder if john waters had the opportunity to tackle this again if he would change anything about it and the one the one thing that i read uh, that he would change is he would have he would have cut the blowjob um, because he did that as a very specific joke for that time. Uh, Deep throat had just uh, gone mainstream, um, and he wanted to make sure that he included a, an explicit sexual act in the movie uh, because it was kind of uh, playing upon that. Uh, and he also thought that you know the the actor who played. Uh, crackers and divine were very very good friends and it made uh them like a little uncomfortable to have to do that but they you know they're professional yep, so they went yep. and and did it um, and i think he said that if there was one thing that he could change about the movie it might yeah. be that uh but otherwise like the the movie is is pretty great as it stands and uh yeah
1: speaking of remakes have you heard about kitty flamingos
0: I saw the thing. Okay. So I saw under his filmography, what, what is this kitty flamingos?
1: So they, they show some brief clips of this in the Jarmusch interview, but um, in 2014, John Waters rewrote the script of pink flamingos to make it more kid friendly. And then he got some kids together and they did a table read of this rewritten kid friendly version of the script. And it's kind of cute because there's like, You know, like, um, like there's one kid that's kind of got like a skull cap around their head to make them look like divine and another kid is wearing a mink stole wig. And so they do, this is like 75 minute table read of the kids (laughs) reading this rewritten script of pink flamingos. For example, they talk about like the ending of this kitty flamingos version is instead of eating dog shit, uh, divine is eating dog food. Oh, Um, okay. (laughs) Um, Uh, I uh, quote on the Wikipedia waters has said that this new version filmed on one day with actors drawn mostly from his friend's children is in some ways more perverse than the original. Yeah. Um, And this was actually an exhibition that was shown on a loop at the Baltimore museum of art. Um, Uh. But yeah, if you want just a taste of that, it's at the very end of the 30 minute Jim Jarmusch interview. You'll see a little bit of clips. Um, It looks adorable. Um, but also you have to warn like, what the heck is this entire thing? So just throwing that out there.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I, uh, I saw that thing on letterboxd and I was like, how can I find this? So it's cool that there's a little clip on that. Uh, that was, that was one of the features I didn't get around to watching. So I will now have to do that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to talk about with this one, but this was, this was an experience that uh, again. If you were to have asked me Friday at like 12:30 how I felt about it I would have said all right I'm glad I saw it I never need to see it or talk about it again the podcast is going to be very interesting because I'm going to be super negative uh but here I am 4 days later uh almost in love with, <laughs> with this with this movie um I, I wouldn't, I still wouldn't say it's a good movie. Like, I don't know that I, I, I think this is like you said in your, your letterboxd review with the, the Ebert clip. It's not something that can really have uh, a star rating or a, a, any kind of like grade because it's, it's the experience of it all.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I know a lot of people, you know, I, I was kind of keeping an eye on letterbox reviews coming out of this screening just to see how many people I could find that were at that screening, you know, and there were a lot of half stars sure. coming out of that. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's the tricky thing because I don't, I don't, you know, maybe you're going to get half, giving it half a star for the content, yeah. but you know, for all of its low budget scrappiness behind the camera and, you know, just it's, you know, the absurdness of what it's trying to accomplish. I, I don't think it's something you can just write off. You know, completely as a half star movie again, it's this weird. You know, we're now going on 50 years of this movie kind of rehabilitating itself in the public eye, you know, and kind of like and kind of watching along with like John Waters' careers, he's kind of you know gone had dipped more into the mainstream, starting with hairspray and then going into stuff like uh crybaby and serial mom and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, because I was re- one of the things that I was reading earlier today was, like, this L.A. Times write-up uh, when the movie came back in theaters in 97 uh, for its first major theatrical release. And they talk about a little bit about, like, you know, how John Waters, you know, is delving more into, like, bigger budgets. You know, they're infin- infinitesimally bigger than what he had done back in the day. Um, yeah. You know, still commenting on things like, yeah, like, this movie is still illegal to be shown here, but just kind of talking about it in the John Waters fashion, you know, where it just, you know, comes off as, you know, you know a, a toss-off as it were um but you know it's also very interesting like there are some notes in there about like they talked like bob shea owner of new line cinema uh because there was some concerns from the la times about like because this was just coming out um because at this point in time new line cinema had been owned by ted turner mm. um and they mentioned the article like ted turner was very vocal about new line cinema releasing crash just a few months earlier david cronenberg's crash you know which also had its varied controversies um and they kind of mentioned an article like so how did ted turner respond to uh putting pink flamingos back into theaters (laughs) complete with its newly earned nc-17 rating because it got re-rated for that particular re-release and bob shibby said oh it wasn't an issue it wasn't an issue. <laughs> um, delightful stuff like that. And again, you know, culminating yeah. to this one-two punch of, you know, the National Film Registry and, um, you know, this Criterion re-release. Uh, in fact, in the Jarmusch interview, Jarmusch kind of talks about, to John Waters, you know, Pink Flamingos and The Godfather both turned 50 years old this year um and you know they talk about like how they've both endured for completely different reasons (laughs) um so the fact that it's hit this milestone you know can have this you know you know trend-setting criterion blu-ray um that you know came out right as the sale was happening sold very well sold its copies out very quickly here in town um on day one of that sales i can speak from experience um It's a movie that endures, it is an object unto itself, and there is nothing else like it.
0: Yeah, Um, I would listen to uh, I would listen to John Waters talk about anything. Uh, That is something that I've learned uh very quickly over the last few days that I will just I would love to just listen to him talk about anything uh there are two two commentaries yep. uh, on the pink flamingos blu-ray so that is a ton of fun um and I think all of his movies uh in on the Criterion collection have a commentary um so yeah just just a a a, a wonderful mm-hmm. wacky mind uh that I would love to to listen to more of yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else we could talk about with this movie. It is, uh, like you said, unlike anything else. Um, and it is a movie that you know uh, maybe other people will kind of have the same reaction that I did, where they'll be like, "What is this? I don't like it." And then you just kind of it, it sits with you, and it's it just kind of builds up where you have to know more. You have to get to the bottom of it, and in doing so, you kind of uncover just how passionate the people were about making it and how inventive uh, the people were in making it like I, I just I think this is this is something that is truly um, one of those those one of those movies that as you also as you said it has endured uh, for 50 years and continues to gain um, fans uh, along the way um, something completely unique. And uh, unlike anything else, Uh, I can't I again, I I don't know that I can give a uh, rating for it. But if you like uh, shock cinema and are willing to kind of wrestle with something that is uh, pushing some taboos and can get a little gross, if you have a strong stomach, uh, this is this is something to watch. And I would definitely recommend uh, if you're outside of Sioux Falls, where they do have the where you do have the opportunity to see it on a screen. Uh, in a theater uh take that opportunity because seeing it with people might be the best way to experience this
1: yeah from the information we've gathered it's now available in dcp format for theaters to book so there's probably going to be a lot of that going around and you know i'm i'm honestly very glad to the state for booking this because yes. as soon as that announcement came through saying this is happening i'm like all right, I'm finally going to strap in and watch this. I've heard the stories or you know, come hell or high water, this thing is going to play in front of my eyeballs and yeah. I am just going to confront it head on. And, you know, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm glad I did. Yep, um, was, it's totally, it was great.
0: Yeah. Just, uh, quite the ride. Um, yeah. Uh, give this, give this movie a shot. Uh, Cause I think, you know, even my girlfriend would tell you when I got home, I was like, well, I saw one movie that I thought was really, really great. And then I think I've seen the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life. And I have not talked about it since, uh, with her, but in my head, I'm like, this movie is something else, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> something else. And I, like, again, I don't know if I can say that I like it or love it, but I appreciate it. Um, yes and i would i would watch it again especially with other people uh and i think that's i think that's as, as glowing of a recommendation um as i can give it but yeah uh something really really special and i am so glad uh that criterion has this beautiful beautiful release um that can can sit on my shelf um yeah, I think that's going to wrap things up with this uh, awesome Pink Flamingos episode. Uh, Derek, where can people find you online?
1: Yes, um, you can find me, as Andy alluded to, um, on Letterboxd uh, under my username D E R V D U D E. That's Derv Dude. Um, you can also find me at the same Nom de Plume on Instagram, uh, where I chronicle my movie watching in. Grand and glorious detail, including my Pink Flamingos experience, if you're so inclined to look at that. Um, Yeah, and outside of, yeah, then obviously part of this podcast as well. So I think that pretty much covers it.
0: Yeah, uh you can check out Blake as well who has not joined us for this conversation oh man what he missed out on yeah uh, but you can find Blake uh, also on letterbox I believe his handle is the real John G yep. uh, and he is also kind of you know reviews pretty much everything he sees uh with just a quick little blurb uh, but it's kind of fun to follow what he watches um, you can follow all things fat dude digs flicks on Facebook Instagram Twitter or Letterboxd, and even TikTok. Just do a search for Fat Dude Digs Flicks and you will find me there. Uh, Subscribe to this podcast, like this podcast, rate and review this podcast, share this podcast with your friends. The three of us, we're going to get together and do this podcast, even if only a few people listen, but man, it sure would be nice to have a big listening base. Uh, And the best way to do that is with your help and pushing us out there to other people. Uh, Please, if you're on something like uh, iTunes or Apple podcasts, or uh, even uh, Spotify, uh, make sure you leave a review and a rating because that always helps. Um, If you subscribe to this podcast, not only do you get the criterion break, but you also get let. Taco Bout. Uh, it is an interview show where I am joined by a guest to talk about their life uh, and their the impact a particular movie has had on them. Uh, my last episode was with Ken Creamer, where we talked about Frank Darabont's adaptation of the Stephen King story, The Mist. Uh, a lot of fun talking with Ken about his love for Stephen King, uh, and you can find that, like I said, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, anywhere your pods can be caught. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, recommendations, would like to be a guest on either this show or Let's Talk About, uh, please send an email to at Uh, We are totally open to adding guests to this show. Um, we would love to, to talk Criterion with you. Uh, so please just send an email if that is something you are interested in. And that is gonna do it for this week's episode thank you all so so much for listening Derek I will relieve you of the duties and I will just say goodbye uh I wanted to think of something pink flamingos related I, uh I i I was I had
1: something planned okay well then that.
0: I shift my responsibility to you take us out
1: Derek could you give us some of your political beliefs kill everyone now
0: condone first-degree murder, advocate cannibalism, eat shit, filth my politics, filth is my life. You've been listening to The Criterion Break. you for listening to Fat Dude Digs Flicks.